Again, when you do this for positive states, pleasant states, and difficult states, it'll give you some contrast. You'll know anger better because you were really there for calm. You know anger isn't permanent because you remember just yesterday you were happy. You don't try to make a time of peace permanent because you were aware last time it came and went. Becoming oriented to the fluid and changing nature of emotions and mental states, patterns of thinking. Now opening your eyes and taking in the room, <clears throat> I wonder if a few of you would describe uh, what came up for you in that exercise, what experience, what you imagined was possible, what your concern may not be possible. What would it be like to take this practice home? If you could stand up, it might get louder. I don't think the microphone's working. You have a gold star in suffering. Working now, if you gratitude. Ooh, here it goes. Gratitude creates a a big expansiveness, mm. and so to be gra grateful for whatever experience I become aware of and can name, mm. just f inside of me makes an expansiveness, so that I can I can get through it in a sane manner, mm -hmm. or you know, it just. It's just much greater amount of ease. Mm -hmm. um, so those things, th th those were really helpful. Mm, thank you. Anyway, just a comment to add to that. Other parts of the Eightfold Path that lead to liberation beyond suffering, you very actively cultivate beautiful states of heart and mind. If they haven't arisen, you, you, you cultivate them. Loving kindness, we cultivate it. Gratitude, we cultivate it. They're so beautiful. And then this form of mindfulness, when they have arisen, we're aware. We really, we know it. Like you would, if you were a master chef, you'd really want to taste the sauces you were making. Like, what does gratitude taste like? Oh, it's pleasant. Like, okay, what else? What can you say about gratitude? Well, it's, well, it's so beautifully connective and it leads to a sense of uh, benevolence that I love. And then it can kind of feed one into another where I want to keep doing it. Oh, wow, these are all the natures, all the qualities of gratitude. So we cultivate it, but we also appreciate it while it's there. And that tuning into it is part of what has it flourish. Is uh, It's almost like if you went out in the garden and really appreciated your tomato plants and you watch them get redder just because you were appreciating them and you were part of 
the sun, your, your appreciation was part of what ripened the fruit. So showing up and appreciating beautiful states of mind in the right way is part of what has them flourish. And letting them come and go and not, letting, and not really taking stock of them, they come and go for other reasons, but they, they don't necessarily visit more. But as you appreciate them, they visit more. Then the next day, when you're grumpy, if you haven't really appreciated it, you won't remember it. And then grumpy can come in and say, the world's always been kind of sour and it always will be sour and no one's ever been kind to each other and I'm not so into this human race. <clears throat> and you'll forget that just yesterday, you really were in a beautiful state of gratitude. So difficult states can come in and they get, they push you around a lot more they define and interpret your world more aggressively and you can't call upon your actual experiences because you didn't really savor it while it was happening. For my mind, that's been very important as I really savored beautiful states. It was just harder for the difficult states to get a real foothold on my worldview and get super angry. It's like, if I haven't really appreciated you, it's easy to get angry with you but if I've appreciated you, next time anger really wants to tell me who you really are, but I've appreciated you, then my own mind can't, it can't win that one. And so I have to then own it. It's like right now I'm angry. But if I, again, haven't taken time to appreciate other people or the world around me, then difficult states can come in and tell any story they want. And I'm kind of taken by that story until it passes. So there are many benefits to really appreciating beautiful states. They flourish and they, um, they defeat the real lock-on of difficult states. Other people, what was it like to, here we go down here. We'll go down here and then back there, all the way in the front. Oh. <laughs> um, I think that exercise in particular helped me become more of an observer of my reality and my thoughts. And as you guided us into the appreciation part, I kind of sensed the, I started thinking about the water mm. and the first one of how it's just fluid and clear. And the, the little rocks to me represented like the emotions, but I was just sort of observing them and just appreciate, even if the negative thought came up, it was like just, kind of being aware of it and acknowledging it mm. and then eventually it would kind of fall down like the, <laughs> the stone it wouldn't be like the third one all clumping together like right. what you just mentioned um right and yeah i just i had a sort of a shift of awareness mm. when when you guided us in this last piece of mm. how i could incorporate it more in my life and even just when the stress comes up or something happens and daily life, I can just be more aware of what's happening and have a different perspective on it and how that could really um, shift my reality. So thank Beautiful. you for that. Yeah. Beautiful. Great sharing. Some unwholesome uh, situations come in my life so quickly and I say unkind words so rapidly that the damage has been done before I become aware mm. of my, unwholes uh, my uh, unwholesome state of mind. Mm. Uh, do you have any suggestion uh, of super quick way of, of <laughs> being aware? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, in the key of what you're saying, <clears throat> If you're getting random challenges, it's very hard to work with them. But if your challenges, if you, when you know how you're challenged, then you can practice and strengthen that part of your heart and your mind to deal with the underlying pattern. Well, there might be hope because what I'm referring to <laughs> is they, they are not random things. Yeah. There's the predictable drama that has been going on for uh, several decades between myself and my wife, yeah. where she says certain words and it quickly uh, 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 
brings me with this anger on and I say unkind things and the damage has been done. Yeah. So, so, so with, with predictable things, I suppose it, would be, it should be a little bit easier to, to deal with those. Yeah. And uh, marriage counseling is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Not just for you, but for many people. Many people. <coughs> In that <coughs> two partners could recognize with compassion that we are imperfect. And it helps me a lot. We always want you know, perfect partners. But people who can recognize when there's been a mistake and who can own it, that's one of the ways that we clean up. So the more aware you are, the more you can see I was triggered, but the reaction was really messy. And I can see that. The quicker you get there, the less damage is done. That's one. Another is, um, you can... So here's a pattern. When I was in Burma, the thing I suffered from most was doubt. I would, doubt would come in and I, didn't, I would have nothing to push against because I didn't feel like I was making that much progress. So doubt would come in and just have its way with me. It would just beat me up and it would pass. And it was pretty predictable. About every three to four days, I'd have a doubt wave. And I had, I had nothing to fight it with. My mindfulness wasn't strong enough. And so I talked to my teacher and I said, you need to practice faith because faith holds you when doubt comes knocking. And I was like, well, I'm not really a faith guy. That's, you know, I'm a scientist and I, I want to see things clearly, but you're asking me to rely upon something. He's like, exactly. <laughs> this is exactly why doubt beats you up so easily is because you don't use faith very much. And so I began to practice, to practice faith. Faith in what? Faith in every three days this thing comes knocking. So when it comes knocking, I believe it. But if it's that repetitive, it's like, oh, it really is visiting mind states. I'm sure that for the three days in between it's come visiting, but when it, as soon as it knocks, then I, I lose it. So what, what are those three days where it's not beating me up? I love the Dharma. It's beautiful. It's like, turning a light on in a room, it's, and I start describing it. I was like, yeah, this is your faith. This is, this is what temple's faith looks like. You do love it. You have confidence in it, but you don't, you don't cultivate it. Cultivate this faith. Cultivate this confidence. This Dharma, I believe in it. Don't look for faith when you're being beaten up by doubt. Cultivate it so that when doubt comes knocking, you got armies of faith. And you need them because faith is, uh, doubt is really coming in. So if you had loving kindness established, then anger would have a hard time coming in. It would feel horrible when it came. You would reject it, like giving you a hot rock. You would, you would drop it because it hurts. But maybe because you're not cultivating something like loving kindness so that it is a power in you, then an older Sankaric pattern of defensiveness and anger is what you lean to when you're challenged. So you have to have loving kindness and wisdom and mindfulness strong enough so that when you go through that territory of your life, they carry the day as opposed to always falling. If I used to um, do a lot of juggling and a lot of uh, balancing on beams and ropes if I was always falling to the left, I would practice leaning to the right, even though it felt <coughs> awkward. I was so obviously falling to the to one side that what I thought was straight up couldn't be straight up because I would fall equally to both sides because I kept falling in one direction. What I thought was straight up was not straight up. So I practiced falling and leaning to the other side and that taught me what straight up felt like. So because you fall into anger and defensiveness and wrong speech, you need stronger vows, hard vows that, that, that you implode inside and it, before it gets to your mouth, it's held by something. Just, I will not say this. And you don't reach for it then. You, re, you build that capacity, I will not 
be. I will not say mean things to my partner. And you make a mantra of that. I will not say mean things to my partner. I will forgive her and myself for this pattern of anger. You start building that. And it's like building a wall and the wave goes over the top and you build it, wave goes over the top, and then you build it, wave splashes and sprays over the top. And then one time you build it, the wave hits and bounces off, hits and bounces off, and then big wave goes over. And you build it even taller. And then the waves of this emotional release hit your vow, not her, verbally. You know, it hits your vow and, and your vow holds it and then contains it. And then you start healing yourself. Where is this coming from? So a vow can be something. Loving kindness can be something. You have to build these so that they can absorb what's being released. This is a, you know, a meditator's way of dealing with a pattern, is making a meditation to strengthen your mind where uh, something is crossing over your, your orientation towards kindness, your orientation towards wisdom and waking up. Thank you very much. This has been very useful. Thank you. Yeah. I've been wrestling with a lot of the same things in terms of bursting out with anger. And what I also find, everything you said was fantastic, but just as a practical thought, checking in, being aware of mind states and heart states early on and say, oh, I'm feeling a little annoyed. What am I annoyed about? And deal with it then yeah. so that it doesn't build, 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 and then pour out. Exactly. When I, I used to teach... Um, teenagers how to canoe down these very powerful rivers in Canada. But we never start on the most powerful river. I mean, it'd, it'd be hopeless. So you start on the streams and get a sense of how a canoe moves. And so once they can handle a certain volume consciously, then we graduate to stronger, more powerful systems. So you build the capacity to be conscious and navigate more and more powerful versions but you catch it earlier and you learn to negotiate and be mindful of that pattern while it's playing out in a smaller version. The big versions show us the consequences of being unconscious. You know, they really raise up our desire to, admit, to do something about it. But the practice usually is more beneficial on the smaller versions of it because those are the ones you're gonna feel like you can make some headway on. And slowly you build capacity to deal with patterns that um, have felt unworkable up till then. And then right next to you, there's a question. <coughs> Hi. Um, let's see, what was I going to ask about? Hmm. I had a few questions brewing. Um, Okay, I guess I'll ask about um, the process of investigation mm -hmm. a little bit more. So when you talk about contemplation, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, and going into the feeling, um, sometimes I, I struggle with kind of um, that precarious space of, I guess it's, well, anyways, that, that moment of falling into it and being lost in it versus seeing it and knowing it hmm. and being in it, being with it. Right. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the process of, yes, naming it and allowing it, but then um, how you investigate without becoming entrapped yeah. in it and also how, um, I guess, sometimes that investigation process um, can be subtly fueled by, a, oh, I if I investigate this well enough, I'll get rid of it. Yeah. Um. One is to know that that's happening. So that's very hard not to do that. Mm -hmm. And so the more likely is just to know that's part, it's not the totality of your motivation, but to recognize, oh, my motivation is compromised here. So just bring bring light to that. Rather than trying to purify your motivation, you might be able to do that too. Let go of but if you have a strong wish that it would go away, you, you have to kind of acknowledge that that's part of the rich tapestry that's happening. It's almost like listening to a, an instrument in a symphony. They're all there. You can't pretend they're not there. But carefully throughout that, you try to actually find the instrument you're trying to listen to. 
So just pure motiva motivation and compromise motivation in that mind rather than giving up, you just, again, tune into the, the, the patient pure intention and have that be the lead, recognizing that there are other urges going on. And if you're so dominated by a really a false urge that you really just want it to go away, you, you own it. Like, yeah, in this moment, I'm angry and I wish I wasn't. And I don't even have any true desire that it would be, that it'd be different. So I'm just going to sit with this complexity right now. I'm going to sit with, there's this thing and I wish it were gone. And I have to sit with both of them because I can't really, I'd be faking it if I tried to imagine it otherwise. Sit with it long enough and one of them gives and then you can work on the other. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and then, this, what I'm about to describe can take some time, but it's, it's how many of you are actually going to do this, so you can practice it. When I was in, um, in Burma working with this one very tough monk, I sat in a chair and I looked out a window, and there was a field of grass, and there was this one very tall um, blade of grass, that, and this, it sort of seeds hung from the top. And I was in very difficult states and I couldn't meet them directly because I was overwhelmed by them. I would focus on this, this blade of grass in front of me, not trying to crush or push away the other experiences, but again, like listening to the right instrument in a symphony. I would put my attention on the beauty of this piece of grass. And you might do this at home by looking out your window or looking at your altar in front of you. And then it's almost like caving or something like that, I would tie a rope to that blade of grass and I would lower myself back into my body, back into the field of my anger or fear or doubt to the degree that I could stay conscious of it. So it'd start being like 95-5 and then I would make it 80-20, 70-30 and right around 60-40 I, I couldn't hold it anymore. It was too much anger, too much complexity and I'd be overwhelmed by it. So I would kind of have to come back out and focus on this thing outside of myself and just let all this stuff arising here, regroup and come back in just to the degree that I could begin to taste what was going on but not be overwhelmed by it. This is, this is a very high art of dealing with some of your most volatile mind states, body experiences, working with pain, working with grief, finding something in your experience that you can make central. So I often why we choose the breath, because the breath can be central if you can actually be in your body. Start with the breath and you expand out to include your legs and your back and other parts. You can go to pain if you can find your breath, but sometimes you can't even be in your body. It's so overwhelming. So you can come to sound or you can come to a visual experience, find something beautiful rest upon it, and then you begin to open your awareness to take in more of the complexity of what's going on to the degree you can stay conscious while it's happening. And then you come back out, regroup on what's beautiful, and you allow yourself to do that over and over and over, and you end up building familiarity and not being overwhelmed by whatever is arising. So it's very hard to do this if something is hijacking you or it's random, but when you start to find some of your deeper patterns and you feel overwhelmed by them and you only know how to run from them, you can say, I know it's coming, so why don't I lean into it? I'll lean into it by putting something in my visual field that's reassuring so that when I feel this other thing starting to arise, I can get somewhat grounded by what's outside of me. And then allow myself to be aware of both to a degree that I can not be overwhelmed. And this takes time, but your options are to run or be overwhelmed. So you might as well find a conscious way to build your capacity to deal with um, something we often run from, a sense of fear or anger or grief that can be overwhelming. So I don't know if that feels doable, if that feels something that you can practice. But again, if you start with something small, you have an altar in front of you or you're gazing out the window, something beautiful, rest your attention upon it 
And then this practice coming in by degrees into your body, into your mental space, your heart space, and then coming back out again. And you do that a few times and you learn the road between what's happening in your environment and what's happening internally so that as challenges arise and they're bigger, if you can't meet them directly, you've built the capacity to navigate something big by having uh, an external place for your mindfulness. A quick follow-up on yeah. that. Um, thank you, that is really helpful. Um, um, is once you have lowered yourself down uh, to a certain degree and you're sitting in that, um, mm. something that was helpful to me today was when you talked about some of the questions that might arise in that investigation process of mm. how does it move? Um, you know, how does it feel physically? I wrote a few of them down. Um, what does it believe? How does it take me over? Mm. Um, and I'm wondering if there's anything else that you, um, any other sorts of questions of investigation that um, would help expand our vocabulary of curiosity? Um, uh, <clears throat> how does it feel in my body? Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Chances are it's going to be pleasant or unpleasant. But sometimes we are challenged by very neutral things. So that's another quality, that, understanding that. Um, what stories flourish with these mind states? So if there's doubt, I'll take it on myself. Some people doubt turns towards others. If you're angry or impatient, maybe it'll tell a very specific thing about you or about the people around you. So what stories flourish with these mind states? Um, how does it feel to be in these mind states? How does it feel in your body when these mind states are strong? Um, and then seeing how it moves, seeing what it arises from. I mean, it's just funny, while you're asking, I wanted to do this once, just to show you the language of where we're heading next in a month from now. When we come to the fourth foundation, if I can grab this easy. In the fourth foundation, um, when sensual when sensual desire is present is present in her, she knows their sensual desire present in me. That's just like what we did. If it's not present, she knows it's not present. Same as the third foundation. The fourth foundation says, uh, she knows how the unarisen sensual desire came to be. So you can begin to reflect a little bit. Now that I'm here, what, what brought this on? It's like, oh, I wanted that first potato chip, then I finished the bag. Ow. I probably can't have that first one unless I want to eat the whole bag. Ow. So in the fourth foundation, we start to see patterns playing out over time. So this some of the things you can begin to do is like, I'm in my anger, but it wasn't there at lunchtime. When did it come on? Oh, I overheard those two people talking. Yeah. And I got judgmental. And then that reminded me of someone's, oh, that's when it kicked in. Okay. So you can start to understand where these things grew out of. And then how did they resolve? How, how did I release the anger? What was that moment like? How did my happiness subside? What did it turn into next? Those are some questions you can ask about them. Great, thank yeah. you. We'll take one more and then we have to turn towards the, the closing, a few more things to oh, talk about. Um, I was just wondering, you were talking about almost a desensitization process of going in with the anchor of that long blade of grass and mm -hmm. then thinking something really nice and good and peaceful and soothing and then going back down into your fear. Why couldn't you do that in, a rela in relationships that bring up rage in you and practice it with maybe some loving kindness or the first time you were with this person and all the attributes that you loved go down into the rage and bring come back up to what you really love about that person would that be something that would be part of this practice um absolutely and i think that's how many of us are going to navigate all that comes up 
in interpersonal relationships. Um, chances are, though, if you're if you're living with somebody, um, and it's that can be a very rich relationship if you're always going down into the depths of what is possible to feel while somebody else is connected to you. And it's possible it's just too much for two people to hold. So you want to pace yourself with that. And if, you, if there's a lot coming up, in our society, processing that with a wise other friend or with a therapist, when you really find deep core material um, it can be a lot to because it doesn't often change quickly, and so you're unearthing a lot, but then it's kind of exposed. So definitely, to some degree, that's what you want to do. You want to see somebody's good qualities and not take them for granted, because later when you're triggered, if you haven't been practicing gratitude for them, then when you're triggered, you, they've got nothing to kind of stand against other than your triggered interpretation. But if you really are grateful for the small and large things somebody is doing and you see their good qualities, then when you get triggered and your mind goes to tell a story, it just it has a harder time gripping the distorted reality because you are clear that someone really was generous many times and then then you're more likely to see the true cause of it. That, that comment triggered me, but this distortion has to be mine. Anyways, uh, infinitely rich, and there's another day long coming um, in a month from now, which is, as I just described, it takes what we've been doing, the sort of seeing these qualities of heart and mind, how they work, and the, the next one is looking at how we get trapped and how we get free. The processes in the fourth foundation is called dhammas, and dhammas really are the laws that govern things. So the next time, the next day long that uh, Donald will be um, going through is looking at patterns of the mind that um, construct our prisons and the ones that are powerful and liberate us. And so very beautiful to take what we've done today and extend it and bring it into the, um, the view of the Four Noble Truths and how the Four Noble Truths, truths ripen to their full uh, when we come to the fourth foundation of mindfulness. What I'd like you to do between now and then um, is to practice a little bit of homework, those of you who are inspired to come next time. And if you're not, practice the homework anyhow, because it's, um, it'll help you carry this practice home. The homework sheets are on the back there, around the back table. Um, and <clears throat> rather than take time to kind of... Actually, why don't, why don't you go back and um, everybody get one and then we'll recollect. You can read over it and see if there are any questions just to make sure they're clear. And then we'll recollect, talk about the just a sec, and then we have some closing um, announcements and one more practice. And those of you who got it on the early side, read it over and see if any questions come up. And the suggestion is to take any one of these practices and add it to your daily meditation or your reflections as you go through the day. See if you can extend these practices out into your daily activities. Um, there's a certain point in my life where uh, the traffic converges. And it's where I'm, if I'm not paying attention, I can get frustrated or um, too... Uh, competitive with the other drivers and so it's a practice to awaken myself rather than just play out old patterns around this one point of conversion slow down and so I've identified that as a place that I want to um, show up better so if you look at your own patterns uh, where there are challenges look at your own patterns where there are beautiful qualities of heart and mind beautiful uh, thoughts that arise 
noticing them, um, nurturing them, looking at the challenging versions. And just take a practice and see if you can dedicate yourself to it for a week or so, and then that will be beneficial. And especially if you're coming back, um, it will prime you well for the day long that um, Donald will, um, will teach. And then uh, I'll say a few things, Sean will say a few things, and then um, we'll conclude the day. What I want to share, oh, first of all, any questions about the homework? They may read it over and have a, is anything not particularly clear? Yeah. Number four, yeah. Yeah. There, there's this set of dogs that rush the fence where I go walking in my neighborhood. And I, they show me what a mind completely taken over by competitive anger, defensiveness looks like. And I could say, like, they're angry dogs. They have nothing to say about me. But then I wonder if, I, I wonder if that's what I look like when I've really locked horns with my mom. I wonder if I look like that. I can't believe you did this, rah, 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 rah. And then she rah, 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 is back. And it's like, oh. So I know what it's like from the inside, but looking at them, and then the energy that's like, whoa, my God, there's so much, you know, like, oh, that's what that mind state's like. I wonder what that feels like. And can I know it from the inside and the outside? And, wow, we're all wrestling with that one. Wow, may we all make it through, because that's powerful. So that would be animals. But if you see other people in a line, and they're frustrated, and they're feeling powerless, and they get so angry, and then you think, oh, I've never done that, or that's not me. Or it's like, oh, I've done that. So let's have compassion for humanity, what we're asking of this, you know, in my understanding, this very advanced uh, savanna-walking ape <laughs> to navigate light-speed contemporary world that we're asking a lot of ourselves. So that's internal and external. Any other questions about the homework? There's, yeah. You were talking about, uh, can you name the mental qualities arising within, within a mental state? What mental qualities? So mm, a mental state like um, fear is made up of, of smaller moving parts. And so um, one of the qualities of fear I know in myself is there kind of, there's a lifting. When fear happens, I, I, I kind of go up. So that upness of fear is one of its qualities. I often don't sink down into my body with fear. If I'm getting overwhelmed, I might go, oh dear, and I might go down. But fear, fear lifts me up, but then I'm not so connected to my body. So that's one attribute. As you go into any particular mind state, you begin to feel out the many qualities of it. Not to make it complicated, but as you know anything well enough, you'll know it's not one thing. Anger isn't a monolithic thing. It's resentment and powerlessness and an urge for justice. It's, it's got many things in it. So there's knowing the qualities within the state. I guess I'm trying to distinguish between, uh, it's semantics maybe. Yeah. You're talking about mental qualities and I would be talking about things like feelings. Yeah, well... As you said, fear, for instance. Yeah, because fear is an example of a mental state. But <clears throat> um, when you... I'm not sure if you drink caffeine, but when you drink your version of caffeine, you can actually be aware of how your mental state begins to open. And I, that, for me, is not the language of feelings. It's a very cognitive uh, process. And you can become aware of the cognitive uh, shifts that happen when caffeine is introduced, for example. That's why, for me, mental states is the larger category heading of which emotions are a part of that. But so are different cognitive, the drowsiness versus alertness, the, the loving of micro detail, the broad view. Those are all attributes of the field of mental state. Okay. Um, So turning our attention, was, was there a question back here? No, okay. Um, 
Many of you uh, say earlier you've been to Spirit Rock before, but one of the practices we have here is called uh, the practice of dana or generosity. And <clears throat> you can appreciate your own generosity as it organically arises due to the conditions and then it passes away, but you can also cultivate it. And it's one of the um, uh, beautiful um, fruits of the heart that is awakening. It really is worth cultivating for your own benefit. It seems like generosity might be more obviously benefiting the one who's receiving the generosity, but that's um, that can be small compared to what it's like to actually have a heart that's learned to untangle itself from its own self-concern, its own worried about me, I don't know if I have enough to take care of you. It's like, you know, actually, I'm going to care about both of us here. So the development of generosity and how it unlocks the heart, where the heart can get very trapped, is an, is an important practice. So much of the practice is done in places like Burma and Thailand. A tremendous amount of it is the practice of generosity. It's what monastics do, is what lay people do, young people, old people, people who are fairly free already keep developing their generosity. They don't hit a level and then call themselves done. It's an infinite capacity. It's, uh, it's very healthy. It uh, weaves communities together. It unseats a certain um, self-preoccupation when we practice healthy generosity. One of the ways that we preserve that here is that um, all the, the teachers here, when they teach, they teach in this form of generosity. So my motivation in coming here today is for your benefit. It's not, um, I don't allow myself to come in and, and think about this as a job for its income. I'm practicing my spiritual path of generosity for your welfare. So, and that is, that is nourishing to me. That's something that I've cultivated today is my concern and interest in your welfare. You're given a chance to practice generosity however you want, and there are ways to do that here at Spirit Rock. One of the things that you're invited to do is to practice generosity for these teachings today. So uh, there's a basket out there, and you're allowed, you can put in cash, you can put in checks. They have uh, places where you can fill out um, a visa form or a credit card form. And that particular basket um, will come back to me. So it will be um, generosity towards me today. And again, there are other ways to practice generosity, however you're inspired to do it. But if you wanted to practice generosity, it's not to, um, to pay me for what I've offered you today. Because what I've offered is already, the motivation was um, for you to receive benefit today. And that's already happened to whatever degree it did. But by practicing generosity, dana, and uh, making a donation there, it does have this um, very tangible effect of supporting uh, me and my livelihood so that I can go on and meet with other students. So um, you're invited to participate in that. Because there's no set charge to it, the practice would be like going into a gym and if you grabbed the one-pound weights and you worked them for an hour, you might not be all that strong at the end of it. Um, you grab 50-pound weights, and it's exhausting. So when you go to give dana, it's the stretch that feels like you've, you've challenged yourself to what feels healthy. So I, I want my sense of generosity. I want to challenge it slightly so that it feels tested, and I feel, yeah, I walked away feeling uh, that, like that was a generous act. So when you come to the dana basket, if you want to practice uh, generosity in that way, the amount is just as you feel in that moment, what felt like a stretch, but not too much of a stretch. I want to hurt my body, but I, do, I don't want to show up um, on the light side of it. I want, to, I want to be proud of the dana. I want to be proud of my practice of dana. So um, that's a practice that you can participate in on the way out of the room. And then, as you know, as you get to know Spirit Rock, um, that's how all the teachers the cooks up the hill and the staff up the hill, um, the managers and whatnot, we are um, cultivating this uh, practice of dana. Um, any questions about that? Any questions about dana and how to practice it, in, especially in this context?
great, beautiful. So <clears throat> that's what I wanted to share about Donna, and then I think uh, Sean has some things to say about um, upcoming events. Um, hi, everybody. Um, wanted to share a few notes. Um, all of the recordings today, we recorded a few segments today. Um, and so the recordings that we recorded will be available on dharmaseed.org. I have little slips of paper that have the website address on the back table. You can pick it up on your way out. Um, there's also over 2,000 Spirit Rock talks for free. Um, so you can help yourself and uh, get enlightened whenever you want. Um, and that's also in the service of Donna, you know, Spirit Rock, um, donating the talks for the public, and um, the teachers donated their time to make those talks available, and they were supported by participants, and it's a big circle. So we uh, were delighted to be a part of that. As Temple shared, uh, the fourth foundation of mindfulness uh, day-long is next month. It's Sunday, October 20th. There's flyers for this day-long also on the back table, as a reminder. And there's a 10-part class series starting October 1st with Mark Coleman on the essential teachings of Buddhism. Uh, there's three 10-week class series um, throughout the year, every year that we offer. And this is part one. You can take them out of order, but it's nice that this is part one if you haven't taken the others. Um, and it's 10 weeks of uh, basic teachings on Buddhism. So again, that starts Tuesday, October 1st. It's, um, it's going to be held on Tuesday nights. Also, um, this Sunday night, October 6th, Rick Hansen will be here in the Upper Retreat Hall uh, teaching about hardwiring happiness, weaving love and inner peace into your brain and your life. So that's a benefit event. He's doing it out of generosity. Um, uh, proceeds will all go to the scholarship fund. And I think that's $25 to $55 sliding scale. Um, and again, it'll be in the upper <laughs> retreat hall. Um, we had some sad news yesterday. One of the three horses that live out um, by the entrance of Spirit Rock passed away. Um, she was 33 years old, which apparently is really old for a horse. And uh, she died peacefully. And um, so as you leave, please send your love to the two remaining horses who I'm sure are grieving the loss of their friend. And also please make a right onto Sir Francis Drake when you leave. Um, and if you want to go east, um, please make continuous lefts through Woodacre and it'll dump you out a couple miles or maybe like a mile east through a, after a redwood grove. And uh, if you didn't see the back table with free books, please help yourself to the at the one table that says free. Help yourself to as many books as you can carry. And uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for your practice. There's a couple more things. So uh, if you've already stood, just stand where you are for a second. Have a stay seated. Um, of the other things, there's the mystery fourth jar. That's why I, I can't leave you hanging, right? <clears throat> As you further begin to bring mindfulness to the, the field of the mind and the heart and know how to taste that more confidently, distinct from what you're actually um, aware of. So through the eye comes sight on all these colors, but when you know the quality of your heart and your mind that's receiving the sight or receiving the sounds or through which the thoughts are arising, knowing the quality of heart and mind, that actually becomes how we begin to access incredible states of heart and mind. 
which uh, are themselves very liberating, and then finally liberating, if you care about the, uh, the full-blown expression of enlightenment, it does from, come from knowing um, and cleaning up the field of the heart and the mind more than the content of experience. So I hope that wasn't too uh, much of a spin around. This last <clears throat> jar represents what happens as we look at the heart and mind and care less and less about what it's experiencing and more and more, is it pure? Is my heart and my mind in a pure space and what do I need to do to orient my heart and my mind into a pure space and worry less and less about um, what I'm experiencing, more how I'm experiencing it and how am I responding to the world from this pure heart and mind. That's what liberation grows out of. So less and less concern of the rocks and the details, more and more of this uh, the profundity, the clarity, the beauty of your own heart and mind and watching things work itself out from there versus constantly wrangling with the external details. So this fourth jar is the enlightened heart and mind. And one more thing, I, I can see you're all really ready to go. We're only a few minutes late. I just put your hands together. <clears throat> and... <clears throat> from the earth below us that has uh, witnessed and felt us living on top, and from the sky above us that's been large and spacious and held us as we've gone through our lives, may all the wise intentions and all the beautiful motivations that have carried us through our life up to this point continue to flourish, continue to grow, and may all these wise intentions, beautiful motivations, ripple out and both benefit ourselves and those around us and those we have not met yet and people we may never meet, but they may still, be, they may still taste and benefit from the work we've done here today. May this be true, I know it is true, and I'm waiting to enjoy the fruit of all of our good work together. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.